The Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast is sponsored by Church Comm Team. Whether you're starting from scratch or you're trying to grow, Church Comm Team can help you with your communications at your church. Go to churchcomteam.com and request a free consultation today. We feel like that the biblical model of church is everybody comes together and creates an experience that is unique and better because of everybody's participation there. Church Online is not a a Hebrews 10 issue, it's a Mark 16 issue, where Jesus says, go into all the world and and preach the good news. A big part of how we define success moving forward is to recognize that the people online have value and they are truly members of our congregation. Culture everywhere within society has adapted, yet we, the church, are still stuck in this 2020, and is it even really working? So, hey, why are we going back to that again? I think organizations and churches that have the ability to dream and haven't been able to actually execute, like, this is where you have the chance to fail forward. So, welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks. Well, as we sit in our home offices slash kitchen slash extra bedroom slash closet, even in our pajamas, experts debate whether or not remote work is efficient and if it's going to persist. Before the pandemic, only 5% of the workforce worked from home. In May 2020, though, it shot up to a whopping 60%. It's probably higher at this point. Maybe it's reducing. I don't know. But it looks like there's going to be a lot of people refusing to go back to an office-only model ever again, yours truly included. If you are in a position where your job can be done remotely, and we know some are not, then the pandemic has thrust you into a very interesting future. Before we start calling those fortunate few lazy or anything like that, you should know that a two-year study by Great Place to Work of more than 800,000 employees at Fortune 500 companies found that most people reported stable or even increased productivity levels after employees started working from home. With daily commutes eliminated and meetings that could have been an email actually becoming just an email, it seems that employees had more time to get more done. But that puts management back in a precarious position. Managing remote teams takes a lot of skill in the area of delegation. You're facing not only physical distance barriers with your team spread out and whatnot, but an operational distance, which makes it difficult to collaborate with each other in real time. And an affinity distance, which means your team may not know each other's strengths and weaknesses as well, making it difficult to trust each other and gain a sense of shared purpose or synergy. Leadership is the key, and today's leaders who lead remote teams must be experts at delegation. But before you say, oh, I know how to assign work to people, this is not for me, let me submit to you. You're not as good at it as you think. One of the first issues we address with a new client at Church Comm Team is helping them build systems and workflows and expectations because everyone always thinks they're better at delegating than they are. George Bernard Shaw said, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion it has taken place. And boy, that is not the truth. It is at the core of many productivity issues in the church, particularly when it comes to communication departments, graphic designers, big events handled by teams, etc. Now, throw in the fact that part of your creative team is remote, you'll realize fast that delegation is a skill set that must be improved. That's why I wanted to talk to my business partner at Church Comm Team, Paul Fleming. Megan, you know Paul. 
I know Paul. Paul, we're so glad to have you. Let me tell you a little bit about Paul and then we'll jump right into our conversation. So Paul is a trusted voice in the church communication space. If you haven't heard about him, just you wait. He's known nationally and he's served as both a lead pastor and a church planter, as well as a communication pastor at Lake Point Church in Dallas, Texas. We won't hold that against him. Paul is also the founder <laughs> some weird looks rude uh, okay all right uh so paul is the founder of both churching.com churchswag.com a million other businesses also he but he's serving the print promotional and signage needs of thousands of churches and he's also one of the co-owners of church com team where he works with seth and together they leverage their years of experience in ministry and communications to help churches clarify their message and reach their community so everyone Please welcome Paul Fleming. Yay! Hey guys, how are you? Hey, That's Paul. So there's only nine hundred thousand, so don't exaggerate. Oh. Okay, <laughs> we want to make sure okay. we get that accurately noted. Noted. We'll put those in the show notes. Yeah. To clarify, so Paul, I'm. You have started a million businesses. I, since I have known you, you have 900, started nine hundred thousand businesses over the years, many of which have been super successful. So. At this point, how many of what you're currently running are dependent on remote workers? Just give us a picture of what that looks like. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Like everything that I'm involved with, every business I start. In fact, now, when I start a business, the first thing I'm thinking is who else needs to come alongside and do this with me or what pieces can I delegate from the very beginning? So uh, 100% of what we're doing right now in all areas depend on remote people. We don't have a brick and mortar. mortar. Uh, we've got people in, I don't remember how many countries now working for us. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much 100%. And in fact, that's how I'm able to start all these other businesses because uh, people are running these things and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's fun. And, and in this state of the world, it's kind of a little easier to start stuff like this because of the remote work, right? I mean, it's been, I mean, all the other things still are there. You have to find your, your LLC. You have to do all that kind of stuff. That's what I call the boring work of the paperwork that you have to register all that stuff, but you can kind of get together and, and start some things pretty quickly because of remote these days. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, we've been doing this for years now. And so pre COVID and all that kind of stuff, uh, this was already part of our fabric and DNA of how we do business. You know, it's easy to start things. It's not always easy to execute things. And so that's the that's the hard part. And these remote teams makes it possible. What are some of those benefits, drawbacks to remote work that you've discovered over the years as you've worked with multiple you know, businesses and teams that are not coming to an office to hang out with you physically every day? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot. Uh, let's start with... I think the people that are involved, I think that when you allow people to work remotely, one of the benefits is you're giving them flexibility, which uh, flexibility for workers today is very high on their list of things that keep them attached to a company. And so I think that's really, really important. Uh, sometimes that can be more important than money, actually, uh, depending on the person. And so that's a that's a definite advantage is that you're valuing the people. It also creates a level of trust or can create a level of trust by working in a remote uh, setting 
because it's actually forcing you to have conversations and hold people accountable in a different way because you're not there looking over their shoulder going, hey, you know, you weren't at your desk for the last 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's it's actually a, a better process because you can just evaluate someone on their work that they're doing, not when they're doing it or whatever. Man, another advantage is diversity. Um, like we've got people that work for us in all parts of the world, South America, Asia, here in the U.S., Eastern Bloc countries. And I find that really interesting because you're getting a different uh, perspective on things that is broader than just our North American view. And I love that, actually. And so I think that's great. Another advantage is time zone diversity. So like while we're sleeping, we could have people working. And so um, you can't do that if you just have everyone in the office. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are about it that I love. And um, I think that it, it's a really great system. Did you ask also the downsides? Yeah. I think here there still are bosses, though, that even if you're going into the office, they still try to have employees working while they're sleeping. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is true. Really- that is true. Well, as far uh-huh. as downsides go, like specifically, can you do you feel like you know most of your team? Like, is there a problem with synergy being spread so far out? Yeah, well, there definitely can be. Um, and I think that for me personally, I wouldn't say that I know personally everyone on the team very well, but the people that manage them do. And um, I think that's really great. Uh, we'll talk about her probably later, but Shannon, who basically runs uh, the operations of most of our companies, has a really great relationship with all of the people that she works with. But even like myself, I know them. We communicate, uh, just not at the same level as someone who's working with them every single day. But it's really interesting because for each Slack, you know, we're wishing each other happy birthdays and Merry Christmases and. Um, if someone's sick, we're checking in on them. And there's just a lot of that same camaraderie that we have, no matter where they are or who they're with. There is somewhat of a downside of, you know, you have less water cooler talk. And so that's, that is the downside. You can't come in and go, Hey man, how was the weekend? And all that stuff quite as easily. Uh, but we have a channel in Slack that's kind of reserved just for water cooler talk. And so we try to help that facilitate that in ways that in ways that we can. Yeah. And I think you hit that right on the head. I mean, there's, there's just not that, that, Hey, what did you watch this? Whatever shows popular right now, last night, you know, that kind of thing that people sometimes connect over. And, you know, as we talk, that's like an affinity barrier to, to the online space. There's an affinity for each other that you kind of miss because you find those connections. So you have to work a little bit harder at it. And so that is a barrier. That is one of those things that kind of, you can struggle with a remote team. And so I think there's, there's places where, you know, leaders, bosses, managers, whatever you want to call them, have to kind of look at that and go, how can we foster some of that in our remote team, especially if we're completely hundred percent remote, like you are like church comm team really is. I mean, you, even you and I live in different cities. I'm, I'm in DFW, you're in Houston and we meet every week. We talk we're about everything. And that's, that's really great. We're both in Texas. Yeah. It's I pretty awesome. It. Listen, I heard Texas was like 80 degrees yesterday it in was. December. It that's was. crazy. I am not here for that. Here, I'm ready, ready to have, we, we had a brown Christmas where the grass was brown. Everything was brown. It was awesome. 
Hey, but <laughs> while we're on that, let me just say about the water cooler talk. For those who are thinking, and there are like many people like, oh, if you go remote, people are going to not get anything done and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all these kind of like feedback that people feel like. But there's a there's another side of that as well. Like maybe it's not as social, but that can be very inefficient. So like if you've got people in the office and they're all standing around chatting it up and they're doing that for hours a day. And you eliminate that, that's actually a a gain in efficiency and productivity. Now, um, you have to find other ways to connect people socially because that's important, too, as a team. But um, it's it's kind of a a give and take. Yeah. And, dude, I will tell you, like being on church staff, I mean, you remember this. We've all been on church staff, right? You, Megan, you have, too? Yeah. Yeah. It happens a lot. Like, gosh, there's so much time wasted with just hanging out in the hallways or, or whatnot so much. And it's fun. It makes an environment really fun, but you, you end up going, man, what did I do today? And and it was like, I said, well, I spent two hours talking to, you know, this guy about, you know, whatever sports team, sports ball was going on last night. Sports but, ball. Yeah. I was just whatever random stuff, right. You know, the well, latest Marvel the movie. Case. I also think that's the case in any office setting that like three to five time period is always wasted. You know, you get your second cup of coffee, you sit, plop down at your coworker's desk. You, what do you mean? Second cup of coffee that happened at 8 AM. That's so right. For (laughs) me, it's my second cup of coffee. That's normal in any office space for that three to five is just kind of wasted time where you're just buying your time there. Yeah, I think that I think this time has really showed us a lot of that. It's it's pulled back the curtain on what was actually going on in the office. Like the stats I read before, you know, a lot of people are reporting productivity is actually up because of remote work. And like we're saying, at the expense, the social aspect is probably down, you know, but the productivity and the efficiency is is going up in a lot of places. And, and there's some that just don't do well with this, or some jobs you just can't do remote. You know, like you you can't work on an oil rig remote. You have to be there for that. You know, there's jobs that like that. that just there's and there's more jobs than that. Even office jobs that sometimes you have to be in there in the office. But still, I think there's a lot of work that we've kind of realized that there's so much going on in the office that's really not work and it's it's not necessary and and that we can we can make up somewhere else. But you delegate a lot of work through you know your project manager. You mentioned Shannon earlier. I want to talk about Shannon a little bit uh, because what you've got there is Shannon's kind of your go-to project manager, admin manager, CEO, what wow, something. I mean, she, title. she does a lot for you. Imagine. Title. Make a really hard business card. I was know? just going to say, yeah. imagine that yeah. business card. It's, it's, a, it's an extra size business card. It's a little bit more, more space on there. Tell us about Shannon. What does she do for you? And you know, how'd you find her? How do you communicate with her? What does that look like? She's, she's your go-to person to delegate to because she gets the work done. Yeah, or make sure, sure it gets done. Can I just say before you before you jump in, I have the ch- I got the chance to work with Shannon for a little while ago, and she's freaking amazing. So for all of you listening, Shannon is awesome. Just know that as a human and as an employee, she's fantastic. Now, Paul, you can you know dote on her. That's yeah, she's weird. amazing. That's a weird um, word. I will say that you know um, over the years, there's been various people in that role. I think that she has excelled more than anything, and. A lot of that has to do with just her competency and her attitude, but it also has to do with how we've evolved as a company and learned how to be better at helping people win. 
And uh, that's not something I've always been good at. And so um, uh, it's something I'm getting better at over the years. But funny story about Shannon is we almost didn't hire her. I have this thing about when I interview people, I have certain things that they can't do follow instructions in the interview process. I don't hire them. And um, Shannon was missed her very first interview. And it was, a, <laughs> it was an online interview. And so I told the team at the time, I'm like, well, that's it. We're not, you know, that's, that's the end of the road. You know, that's, that's a no non-starter. And the rest of the team was like, no, 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 she's awesome. We should interview. And I was like, no, that's, that's like, you know, if you can't follow instructions and be on time, like that's it. The deal breaker. Exactly. And so I learned a really valuable lesson in listening to my team on this because they insisted we should interview her. And I said, okay, great, go for it. And it turns out that we hired her at a very minor role. And now she is the most major role in the company. And so she is basically our operational lead. So we've taken all those things that you just said that made a long business card and we turned it into operational lead. And so that's for multiple brands. And then she is delegating other people. And, uh, and so she does pretty much everything. I check in with her a couple of times a week for very short periods of time, as in like 15 minutes. And usually that meeting goes like this. Hey, how's everything going? She's like, great. And I was like, is there anything I need to be aware of? It's major. No. Uh, do you need anything from me? Not really. Uh, do you want me to just leave you alone? Yes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> At this point, it's that way yeah, though. Yeah, that's the way it is. Now, it didn't start that way. I mean, I've been working with Shannon now for years. And so she's grown as a person. But I can tell you this. We are, we just processed our 10,000th order a few months ago online. And she handles all of this stuff and manages our team like a true boss. And she uh, she's killing it. So we're just so glad to have her on the team. So you meet with her how often? I meet with her twice a week, but I need to put that in context, okay? Because you can't always do that. This is a unique situation for us. So I don't want to get hung up on that particular role because it's kind of unique. I wouldn't recommend that as a as a good policy for everybody. But for the type of business that we do, it's all online and all that kind of stuff. It works out great. Now, she meets with her people remotely like all throughout the day and regularly and all that kind of stuff. I don't know all the meetings that she has, but my relationship with her is a little bit unique because she's really running things. She doesn't need me to be in, you know, involved in micromanaging her, which I kind of stay out of. Yeah. So. So when it comes to your delegation, what level of like checking in on the work that you delegate do you do? Like at what point does it become micromanagement versus like healthy communication and how do you find that balance? That's a great question. And I think the answer is it's going to morph and change as you build trust. And so early on, you, you have to have more hands on. If you don't, if you just kind of, I use the hot potato analogy. If you just go, Hey, look, there's all these things I'm doing and Megan, I want you to do them here. And I throw the hot potato at you and then I go sit on the beach. That That is called abdication, not delegation. And there's a big difference between, between those things. Abdication is when I um, basically absolve myself of the responsibility, put it all on you, and then blame you for the failure. 
And that's a really great, great way to get rid of team members <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because it's not fair to them. It sets them up to lose. And as leaders, we need to set people up to win. And so early on, we need to hold their hand very closely. You know, I've done this with my kids as well, but this same kind of leadership process that we know, you know, I'll do it and you watch and then we'll do it together. And then you do it and I'll watch. And then you just do it while someone else watches. Right. And so that's kind of the the cycle of good leadership. And so early on, yeah, I'm very involved. But then as time progresses and we begin to trust and we begin to give feedback, it gets to the point where I don't need to be involved at all. But let me just say this. When you get to that point, you have to continually let your people know, whatever you need, I'm here for you. Can I help in any way? Is there anything that I can give you? Do you need resources? Do you need a bigger budget? Do you need more people? Do you need software? Do you need hardware? Is there, do you need an office? Do you need, you know, whatever it is that they need? What is it that I can help you to win? And if you'll continually let them know that I'm here to help you win, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's something that, you know, for me, you know, if we, as we've built church comm team together, I've had to learn that that there's a a level of like handing off that needs to happen. At first, it was like, I'll just hire someone that says they're good at this. I'll give them the task and then I'll check in when it's time to be due and they'll have it done. And that's, I think that's typical of a lot of people that think that that is delegation and that I've done my job and the failure is now yours. When really it's what you're talking about. It's abdication. I just hand it off. And I didn't help them. And so now I'm learning like when we get like for social media, we've got someone new that's helping us create social media plans. So I'm very involved in helping her create those social media plans. We're doing that together. I'm walking through what she's creating, you know, and I'm like, this may not work here. This will work great. Or this is a great idea. Or what about this? And I'm very involved in helping her get like what we're doing. Whereas two, three months down the road, I hope to go, hey, great plan. Thanks for doing that. You know, and I, I and and we just go with it because she's picked it up, she's learned it, and she can handle it. But there's this this kind of like that process, like what you're talking about, that I think that it, it's extra work. It looks like extra work to us. You know, like I hired you. Why am I working? Yeah. You know, and, and it's because you want the work done right, and you want to be able to hand it off. You got to think long term on that. And I think that many are looking for that quick fix, and it doesn't. Always, uh, seldom works that way. Like, think of delegation as I, I'm a I'm a Traeger guy. So on my patio, I've got like a pellet smoker, which is a Traeger. I mean, the best way to cook is slow and low, right? And so it's like put that at 200 degrees, and you smoke that brisket for 14 hours. That's the best. If you throw that brisket in the microwave, it's going to be terrible. And I think for delegation, a lot of times that's what we want to do throw it in the microwave, hit the buttons. Okay, I'm done. Now I'll see you guys in two weeks and you can let me know how it's going to be awful. Slow and low. You need to think like, okay, over the next three months, next six months, maybe the next year, two years, five years, I'm going to develop this person. And so let me say a key phrase that I use a lot in, um, in a course that I'm building about delegation, actually, is that delegation is more about developing people than dividing tasks. And so if we'll think of it like that, that it's more about helping this person become a better leader 
while we get the job done more than just like, here's a checklist of things I need you to do. And then I'm going to disappear. That's um, there's too many leaders that do that. And I get it. I've done it too, because it's easy, but it doesn't absolve us the responsibility. It's interesting. I was a pastor for 20 years. And as a pastor, you know, we go to seminary and we're taught how to teach. And we love getting up there on Sunday and teaching, right? And we've got an outline. We've got it all perfect. If we could take that same skill set and apply it to the people that we employ, maybe that would help us pastors get this concept that you really, you're just like you do on Sunday. You have to teach people, even if they know how to do something better than you, you still have to teach them what you want, what the outcome is. You have to teach them with feedback, how we're going to operate together. This, not that. No, not that either. This, more like that. It's that kind of thing that you're always giving feedback and you're teaching them just like you would a thousand people or 200 people on Sunday morning. So that may be a good mental thought process for a pastor. Yeah, there's nothing like running towards a goal and then you get there and realize that you ran towards the wrong goal. Right. (laughs) That's that's very (laughs) frustrating as an employee. So that process, I would argue... You know, you, you you said you talked about how it's harder to do that proper delegation in the beginning. But I think in the long run, it's actually the smoother, less chaotic, more functional, more efficient way to go about you know, production. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're not start restarting, right? Like, as in you're having to go back and fix things or correct things or just start go a different direction. Mm-hmm. And for churches, like this is, this is like a brand new arena. Like this whole remote work thing is brand new. They've never done this before. They've not been skilled up in this. They've never had somebody model this for them. You have pastors or executive pastors who are delegating communication tasks to their comms director, who then has to get this huge mountain of work done themselves, or they have to employ volunteers, or they have to employ freelancers, or they're delegating to other staff members to try to get all of these the information in and, and tasks done, pick up parts of the work, or they're hiring you guys at church comm team to do this. So this is, it's a huge, uh, feels like a, a pile of spaghetti hard to unravel sometimes to know where which end is up. If you are in the comms director position or the executive pastor position, where do you start? Like what is the first thing that you do when you're getting when you're like, okay, this is a mess. What's work what's happening is not working. I know there's a better way to do it. What's the first thing that you do? Well, I think the first thing we do is adjust our mindset. That is like the very first thing that we have to do is think like what we're talking about. And for those of you who are watching, we're commending you for actually watching this because and listening to this podcast, because you're on the right track, trying to get better at this mindset is the biggest challenge. And so that may mean like gathering everyone in the room going, Hey guys, none of us are great at this. We're going to learn this together. And as a culture, we want to be better as delegators. And uh, it's a biblical principle. It's something we're going to do. And so that's kind of step one is developing the mindset and the culture and saying it out loud that, um, let me just say this, when when I worked on church staff at Lake Point, and then even as I uh, run my own business, one of the ways I hold people accountable is actually a question on their quarterly report is, what items did you delegate and how'd that go? 
And so in other words, that's part of building the culture and saying, I'm going to hold you accountable, not just for what you do or how well you delegate it. So that would be the very first thing I would do is set the table, so to speak, for delegation. Get everybody in the room and say, guys, we're going to excel at this with a five-year goal of just being hitting on all six cylinders and that sort of thing. The second thing I would do is take an inventory. Take an inventory of everything that you do. And if you're a multi-person staff, ask everyone to take an inventory over a one-week period. Write down every single thing that you do. And don't just write down the things that you could delegate. I mean, write down everything that you do. I respond to emails. I made these phone calls. I counseled this person. I did this. I designed that graphic. I put that flyer on the wall. You know, whatever it is. That's the starting point because you can't delegate what you don't know that you're doing. And so that's the important part is then you you take all that and you kind of explode it and go, okay, Megan can do that. Seth can do that. I can do this. And this is something I will never let anyone do. And that could change and it probably will change over time as you grow and mature. But there are some things you might say, hey, I'm going to hang on to this one. But these are things that you can do. And so that's the starting point that I would I would do. The last piece of that would develop a system to delegate. And we can talk about that. I use tools like Batescamp and Monday and Slack and um, 400,000 other tools. But um, <laughs> yeah, whatever works for you, you have to have a system that assigns something to somebody, holds them accountable to it, and allows you an opportunity to have feedback that is more than just verbal feedback that we can go back to later and say, remember when we talked about this, uh, let's do more of that. And then by the way, speaking of systems, and maybe we're going to talk about that later, but um, speaking of systems, one of the values of having a system like that is it allows you to now do what I call deep delegation. Delegation at the top level is me giving it to Megan. But deep delegation is when I give it to Megan and Megan gives it to Seth or whatever, you know, whoever. And then when Seth gives it to Sally and that's like layered delegation. And that's the, like, that is the Holy grail of what we're looking for. So when you have a system where you've kind of gotten back and forth feedback and that's recorded, you can now take that whole conversation and go, Hey, this is what Seth and I talked about a year ago. And so now you have all the backlog data of what we're looking for and you don't have to repeat yourself. So that was a long answer, but does that make sense? Yeah. And, and you have this, like, for instance, like when what we do, you know, you, you've got an, like a, an executive pastor who's over communications. They've been tasked to make sure that we're communicating well over the whole church. And so they either hire a comms director or a volunteer or they hire us. And, you know, they've got to make sure that we know what's going on, that that comms director knows what's going on and that those initiatives are being done. So they're delegating out to that comms director. And then that comms director is going, I need a team. I got to have volunteers. I got to contract people. I got to hire someone, whatever the solution is and going, how am I going to do that? And that's really where that system of let's delegate well, like, and the reason I like Monday is because it helps you communicate, not just delegate, but it helps you communicate through that delegation process a lot with automations and other things that, you know, some you have to pay extra for. But uh, I really like it to do that because it helps us stay on task and communicate with each other and what we're doing. And I find that, you know, that exercise you mentioned, I did that. You know, you, you told me to do that at one point and that just changed my life. You know, like list out all the stuff that I'm doing right now. and highlight 
I highlighted in green, here's the things I'm never giving away. And I realized that was most of the list. I'm like, well, that can't be. I got to give some of this. What can I do? So I had to start thinking like, how do I train someone to do this task? How do I train someone to do this task? And it turned my mindset out of that fire drill culture that kind of is prevalent in culture, in church culture of we don't think about it till we have to. It's all last minute. It's, oh my gosh, what are we doing this weekend? It's that last minute non-planning kind of mentality that we get into because it's a seven-day cycle and it, it stops you from developing that delegation mindset and thinking of yourself not as the guy who has the girl that has to get everything done but the guy or girl that has to make sure everything gets done. And, and that's different. You know, like, okay, I need to have all this done, but that doesn't mean I have to do it all. So how am I getting it done? And it forces you into that coach delegation manager r- role that you really need to have before any of this works. Cause you can have all those tools and it just not work, you know, and it's because that mindset doesn't exist. Yeah. Most, I think most leaders, because as leaders, we are problem solvers. So we see something that needs to be fixed. And by fixed, I mean, hey, we have a problem. We have a sermon series coming up next week and we need a graphic for it. That's a problem, right? And so we need a solution. And so our tendency is to think, what do we need? And then how do we get it done? So we go, what, how? What I would advocate is that as leaders, we need to change that and go, what, who? So it's not just what, how, it's what, who. And so like, here's what needs to be done. Who could, who do we need to collaborate with? Who do we need to talk with? Who do we need to involve that can help us figure out the how? And that sometimes is a big shift for leaders. Definitely. And, and as I was doing that, that kind of mind shift in how I'm thinking, it was difficult for me, and I'm sure it is for others, to decide, like, what do I keep? Like, what is just the me thing and and what can I give away? How do you make that decision? What are some of the things that you do to, to go, okay, I'm keeping this, this is what I've got to do, but I can hand these things off and here's who needs to do it. How do you run yourself through that list and and come up with a good me, them list? Yeah. Well, it's a complicated question because there's a lot of factors to it. Right. But I think the starting point is knowing yourself. Right. And so and being honest about who you are. And so I say it's complicated because this is not something you can do overnight or a little three minute exercise that's like, oh, you know, I'm good at this, or here's my personality profile. And so blah, blah, blah. It, it takes time for people and it takes an openness on our part for people to be honest with us and to, be, to, to allow them to give us feedback. You may think, oh, I'm really amazing at this. And so I'm keeping it. And everyone else on the team is going, no, you're really not that amazing at this. And so I think that part of it is it takes maturity on our part as leaders to allow people. And, and what's, what's interesting is sometimes we think that's bad leadership, but it's actually fantastic leadership to let other people in and give us the feedback. That is what makes a better team. And it actually makes you stronger as a leader and it causes people to trust you more because you've allowed them to to speak into it. Okay. So that, that's one thing. I think another thing is you have to have a gut check. It is a serious gut check because here's what people think. And I've actually done some dialogue with leaders about delegation. And I've asked the question before, like if 
How many think that if you delegate all of these things away, that you're not doing your job that you get paid for? It's interesting that most people raise their hand and go, yeah, I mean, the church paid me for this. And, and so I got to get it done. I mean, if I'm not, then I'm not doing my job. Not true. Not true. They're, they're paying you to make it happen and to be responsible because they hired you as a leader. And so uh, that's what they're paying you to do. And so you have to have this gut check. Sometimes I think when people delegate things, they think to themselves, well, this makes me less valuable to the team because everyone else can do what I'm doing. And so therefore, I'm not the only one that can do what I'm doing. As long as I hold the purse and I can do everything, then I'm super valuable because if I leave, man, it's all going to fall apart. And so I think that the biggest thing that needs to happen on what I decided to delegate and not delegate is really that mindset again of trusting the process, trusting the biblical process, by the way, of how Jesus did it, how Moses did it. Jesus didn't do it all. He immediately said, here's 12 guys. And so we're going we're gonna to lead through them. And so I think that's the biggest thing with pastors is it's really a pride thing. And we've got to get through that. And so that's, that's number one. I love that story you just mentioned, the one with Moses and his father-in-law Jethro, which is an awesome name. It wasn't original to me, yeah. Seth. I read it so I love that story. He's, he's judging the people all day long as they come out of the promised land. And Jethro's like, he comes to visit and he's like, son, what are you doing? You're not getting through half of what you need to. And there's million, you're not the only one that can do this. And so he gives him that, hey, appoint people who can do what you do over certain amounts of things, like someone to manage a hundred people, someone who can manage 10 people and set up a hierarchy so that there's a, a system in place for making godly judgments on things happening in your world in real time, because you can't do it all. And so he's like, that's wise. And so he sets up that system, which, you know, in the old Testament becomes the system of judges, you know, the system of their, their legal system. And it, it like allows the people to have a healthy, happy life. And I think that without Moses there, it doesn't happen, but without Jethro speaking and giving that feedback to Moses and him taking it, it doesn't happen. And it just becomes this chaotic group of people that were already, you know, wandering in the desert. So, you know, it, eating snakes and stuff. I don't know what, what you even do out there, but like, it, it's, it's such a good, yeah. They ate snakes in the desert. Okay. Yeah. It was just a very, you had to what feel like food? you just pulled, you just like pulled that out of like, where did you pull that from? What I don't food know. is there in the I, desert? I don't know. Besides reptiles and snakes and stuff. Anyway, but the, the point is, the point is, is it's a good, it's a good analogy of biblical delegation that uh, we should really pay attention to when we're thinking about how valuable are we is that Moses gave a lot of stuff away and you're not Moses. Well, yeah. I mean, Jesus <laughs> did, did his fair share of that. And too. Jesus is better than Moses. So, yeah. So uh, I think, you might be getting into this. This is the question that I have, but you probably are about to answer it. And dele with delegation being such a difficult, like, why do you think that's so difficult? Why is it so hard for us to delegate and like, what can we do to become better at delegating without doing what you talked about before without abdicating? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's a number of reasons that we don't delegate very well. One of them is that we have poor past experiences. And so uh, we, we actually didn't learn this concept. And so we abdicated in the past, we gave something away, 
the results were dismal and we're like, well, I'm never doing that again. I'm not done delegate. Right. And so we didn't learn how to properly delegate before. And so we're using that as the benchmark of what delegating is. And we have a presentation. So we need to get past that. I think another one is procrastination. So this, this one hurts and stings, but if you say to your graphic designer, Hey, I need this graphic and I need it tomorrow. And you get it back and you're like, this is terrible. I always do it myself. That wasn't fair to blame the designer for that because you procrastinated. And so the results that you're going to give back are going to be really, really poor because the runway wasn't long enough for you to train and explain and, and give feedback. And so procrastination, I think, in the church is one of the biggest things that kills delegation because we waited too long. And, you know, as a pastor, we had this thought Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. Ooh, we should add this slide. And I'm going to talk about this slide. And so and then, you know, we feel bad because we shouldn't really get the designer to design a slide at 9 o'clock at night on Saturday. So we pull up Canva and we do it ourselves. And then we send it to the media team in the morning. You go here, throw this in. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that actually happens. It, it happens but, sometimes. Um, so, Super rare, uh, I'm sure. 80% of churches do that. <laughs> Why is that though? Because we procrastinated, right? And so I think another reason is price. We feel like that was not being a good steward of God's money to delegate this out to somebody when I can do it myself. And that's a, a terrible, terrible myth because we're actually wasting God's money doing things that we shouldn't be doing. I think uh, another one is just um, inadequate systems, of which I'm a big proponent of. We have no place that's a placeholder for all these things to get done. And so they're just in our brain and then we forget things and then we don't know who's on first. We don't know who's doing this. Oh, were you doing this? I did. Oh, I'll just do it myself. And so having a system is one of the reasons we don't delegate very well. But I would say all of that, I would put in the one big thing as far as the, the, the logistics of why we don't do it. But I think the underlying reason is... Uh-oh, is here I, we go. Yeah. We're getting into it. Get it. It's identity issues. Oh, um, I, I, I knew it was going to get personal. Yeah, it's identity issues. You know, we, we find value in things that maybe we shouldn't find value in. You know, as a pastor, I was a pastor for 20 years, like I mentioned. And before I was a pastor, I did digital design, website design, and graphic design, all this kind of stuff. So as a pastor, I had this unique ability. Not only was I seminary trained, but I was I could also open Photoshop and Illustrator and just, you know, make things happen. But the reality is that I was actually stealing the joy from other people from doing that. And also I wasn't as good at that moment back then as I thought I was. And there were other people that were better at it. And um, I just had my pride in the way. And I had some identity because I had gotten some pats on the back for a few things that I did. And I'm like, oh, this is this is what gets me pats on the back. So I'm going to keep doing this because I get a pat on the back. And what we need to be thinking is, what if we could set someone else to get pats on the back? I mean, I think that's more of a biblical perspective is how do we help them win? So we need to kind of really evaluate our pride, our identity issues, and let that really fester a little bit and incubate for us and just trying to figure out why, why is it Seth that I keep saying I have to do this? And really it's arrogance. 
Um, we think that we're better than everybody else. And here's the deal. Maybe you are, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. Maybe you could live with 80% of the quality so that you could do things that you're way better at. And so those are things that you need to think through. Yeah. It's like Andy Stanley says, only do what only you can do, which is, you know, an ideal and not, you know, you can't do that perfectly every time, but it's a good marker for when we're in ministry. Like what, as I, even as I was looking through my list of here's what I do, what, what can only I do? That was the guiding question for me. And I think when you ask yourself that it starts to help strip away some of that, uh, that ego, while still allowing you to feel important, you know, at the same time, because I can only, I'm the only one that can do this. But having that mentality of just there are things that I need to be doing that maybe I'm not doing because I'm spending so much time on this stuff that somebody else can do. And to be honest, there's there's a lot of tasks that we find, you know, personal identity and value in that anybody can do that we really are, are spending time on things that we could ask someone, a volunteer, hire someone, freelance, you know, something like that, that we've got budget for that. And it might be tied up budget somewhere else that we just need to move. And so that's, that's a question to, to answer is like, you know, are you budgeting for the needs that you actually have to delegate those things properly? But it allows you to, to kind of think through what is it that only I, what, what is the main thing that I bring? You know, what is my strength that if I did nothing else, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm valuable for. This is how I help. You know, am I doing that to the best of my ability? And then everything else can come after that. So it, it feels like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of self-reflection here. And some people are just not very self-aware and need help. They need feedback. They need honest people in their life. And uh, typically for me, the most self-unaware people are the ones that handle feedback the worst, but you got to find some kind of system that you allow people to speak into. One of the questions is your friend and all of our friends is the question why. And so I've done this with teams. Uh, Seth, I may have done this with you once or twice too, but as people are learning to delegate better, someone will say something along the lines of, uh, I'll say, so what are the top three things that you got to get done this week? And they'll go, well, I need to do this. And I need to do this. And I need and so I'll usually pepper people with, hey, you said you need to do this. Why? Oh, well, this has got to get done. No, you said you need to do this. Why? Oh, because, you know, I don't know how to do this. And so I just keep peppering and getting to the real root of why. Why are you doing this? And the more you do that, what happens is in our psyche, we begin to break that, that false identity down go, well, actually... I don't really know why I feel like I need to do this because someone else can do it. And here's the discovery that you make is that over time, if you delegate properly, if you hire properly, um, you'll find that people will actually do the things that you thought you were good at way better than you. Yeah. And, and that's a win. And I think, you know, as far as that goes, when in remote work, we, we often struggle with that delegation because we think we're the only one to do it as well as we do, because we can't really show someone how to do it. And we use a tool called Loom, L-O-O-M, which is a screen recording, quick program, records to the cloud. And so anytime we're like, hey, I need to tell you how to do this, but we're remote, I make a Loom video and just send that to the person to show them exactly how to do things to help them understand, like, here's how I want it done. Here's I'm training them. Uh, and that's been an, a really helpful tool. And 
even with that, sometimes the project fails. So how do you handle when you've delegated something and then the person you delegated to fails to deliver? Well, the first thing you have to do is look introspective, right? So what we tend to do is blame and go, well, she, let's fire her. Let's fire him because they're not any good at that. They're incompetent. And that may be true, but that should be the last resort. We should start with us and go, what did I not communicate? What constraints did I put on this project that made this fail? Uh, what can I do better to communicate or to cast a vision for this project? Or do we need to adjust our timeline so that I give earlier uh, information or better feedback? After you do that several times, yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. It may come down that you've got someone in the wrong seat on the bus. And that may be a reality. They're not, that's not their forte. And you're asking them to do something, especially if you're a smaller church or a new church. Everyone just kind of jumps in and does what they can. But over time, you need to kind of get moved people in there, especially. And so you do have to have some hard conversations, but let's not start there. Let's not assume someone is incompetent. Can I tell you a story? Um, when I went to Lake Point Church in Rockwall, I don't know, we were probably running 12,000 people and we had a team of four or five designers and all these people doing nice stuff. And we had a project manager. And um, my first day on the job, this, my, the senior pastor and my boss said, listen, you have a problem. There's a project manager. She's not getting things done. Everyone's mad at her. And you have my permission to fire her. And this is my first day. Wow, that's quite the first day. Yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> um, and so I said, give me three months. Let me figure out what is really happening. And then let me get back to you. And he said, okay. So what I found out over the next three months is that we had no system. And we had 300 staff members. They were all submitting a request to this person via email. She was taking that and putting it on a calendar and trying to put all the... And it was a, it was a zoo and she couldn't keep up. And so things were being dropped. Oh, I forgot about this. I didn't get to that one. Oh, I missed that email. And so over the next three months, we built a system. And we built a system to track every incoming that got out of her email. We created a system to sign things to people, to track it, blah, blah, blah. And um, what I discovered was it wasn't her. It was the system. And so she actually turned out to be a very competent person. In fact, fast forward 10 years, she is now the communications director for that church. She almost got fired. The reality was it wasn't that she was incompetent. It was that our system was incomplete. And so that is a big, big thing. So when things fail, instead of just going, well, he did or she did or they should have or they stink at this, we need to kind of step back and evaluate the whys behind the what. How did this happen? At the end of the day, yes, there's going to be moments where she's incompetent. He's incompetent. Humans are whatever. humans. And they need to go to a different, they, we need to rehome them into a new opportunity. Um, but, <laughs> nice. Um, that's, that's probably not what's really happening. Yeah. And I think that that story alone illustrates something really well is that a tool is not a system. Like getting a project management tool does not mean you now have a system. A system is how does work get done from request to finish? 
How does someone accomplish these goals? And so sitting down and working on that system, it, well, it's going to go, you're going to request it. Here's the things you can request. Here's the form. It's going to go to a project management. Here's how we're going to assign it. Here's how we're going to re reply to work. Here's how feedback's going to work. Here's how, what do they call them? Revisions are going to work. And then here's how we're going to deliver it. That's the system. And that requires a couple of tools along the way. You know, so I think we often forget that what you just described is like, she had, a, she had a tool. It was email, you know, and if you just given her a sauna, it wouldn't have gotten better. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I think it's important for us to understand, like, as we, you know, when we see failure of delegation, failure of projects over and over, and we, we go, well, we need to address the system. It's not just about, you know, well, what project management tool are we using? You know, well, what's our form look like? You know, it's how does all that work together? And that requires you as the leader to figure that out. And that's what you did. You, you went in with that and like, Hey, there's a way we do this. It's just not a good way and not, not worth calling it even a system. Let's, let's all get on the same page with this. And that's what made that better. And to be honest with you, you just have to know, I mean, I don't want to paint rose colored glasses here. It, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. I know in that moment, man, those three months were really rough on me because we implemented a whole new system. I spent an enormous amount of time working on it. But then I personally went to most of our staff members, sat down with them over three months and said, here's our new system. Let me train you on how to use it, why it's important. And it just took months and months and months, but it was an investment that has uh, over the time served, uh, served that church very well. Well, that's a really great example of how delegation is also an exercise in developing your team. Like Absolutely. Delegation isn't just a process efficiency, it's development. Do you have, like, have you seen that play out in, in the work that you're doing now or in other ways? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we talked earlier about Shannon, right? Like, here's a person that started at the very lowest end of employment and who's now running the show. And over time, it's just been a development cycle over and over and over and over again, showing her what to do, how we want it. Hey, not this, um, but that, you know, um, and then that, that over time develops into like, for instance, she runs all of our marketing campaigns right now. And uh, she doesn't do it, but she oversees it. And every once in a while, I'll get something, I'll go, hey, what if next time we set it like this? Oh, that's a great idea. And so I let her be the, the, the winner of it, but it was a, it was a subtle way for me to train and teach and say, Hey, here's another way to think through that. And so I think that's, that's a really important part of the process. As, as I said before, delegation is about developing people, not dividing tasks. And so you have to think people first, task second, which if anyone is on this or watching who worked with me 15, 20 years ago, you're thinking, who is this guy? Because um, that's been a very big learning curve for me. I'm task oriented. I uh, get things done and I'm very efficient. And, like, and I've had to really learn how to develop people because actually I'm getting way more done by developing the people as, as opposed to just rattling off. I need to get done, you know? That's not your leadership. You're working through them. And I think, I think a lot of leaders probably listen to this going, okay, sounds good, you know, but I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody to delegate anything to, you know, I, I'm, I'm by myself or we're a staff of four or a staff of one. 
and they have like volunteers and they may maybe find some people, but they don't even know how to do that. So when you've got a leader that's like, I can hear you, I get it. I'd love to be better at this, but I don't really feel like I have anybody that I can trust to get things done. Is there a reason you think that happens or what do you, what do you tell that person? Yeah. Well, every situation is different, of course, but here's, here's what I know. If they constantly think like that, it's going to always be like that. And so again, it starts with that mindset. And so if I were that person, I would, first of all, crush all the myths about that. I don't have anyone. That's a myth. That's not even true. There's people all around you. And so now it's just about you leveraging them and instructing them, developing them. Uh, it could be that you have a long view and you say, hey, I see potential in this person. I'm going to go meet with this person. I'm going to share my vision right up front with the lunch and say, hey, listen, I'm not very good at delegating and we don't have big staff. We want to start doing this. I'm learning that this is the way that we're going to grow. Can we work together on finding ways to delegate and implementing some of these things that we're talking about? And uh, can you help me delegate? And so that'd be first things first, right? Second thing would be evaluating all the people that you actually do have, the people that show up every Sunday. There may only be 30 of them, maybe 60 of them, 90 of them, or 500 of them. Find the people and say, I want to get, I want to develop a team of five people. We're going to meet once a month and we're just going to talk about how do we delegate and more and more and more and just start building the culture behind it. That's, that's the very first thing I would be doing. Alongside of that, though, I would start with the bare, the bare basics and just find out what are the, the non-essentials that I'm doing that I can stop doing that I could have someone do. And so you say, well, I don't have you know, enough money to hire an admin assistant. That's okay. Can you go to your elders or your deacons or finance committee or whatever you go? Would you approve $1,000 a year? just for me to outsource some people on Upwork or things that just, you know, a church comm team or, you know, whatever, things like that. I mean, you can't do that for a thousand dollars a year, but you know, what, whatever the, the lowest piece is, can I just have a little bit of money to try this out and, and do that? I would also, I mean, shameless plug, it's cheaper to hire. Like, let's think about our team, churchcomteam.com. Now, we're providing extensive communication services for churches at a fraction of the cost they would have to pay for an employee. And so there are some alternatives to get these things off your plate and give you some breathing room. So let's find out what those are and let's take a hard look at what we're doing, ask ourselves, why am I doing this? And just completely crush the myth that there's no one else that can do this. That's that's a lie. Yeah. And and we we have a previous podcast as well about building a photography team, and and there's a lot of elements in, in there when you're looking for volunteers and trying to build up a, a team that you can delegate to. There's a lot of nuggets of gold in there with Zach, so I encourage you guys to listen to that one as well and, and go back to that. But you're right, like there's stuff out there that even with your volunteers, you can find volunteers. The more people you have in your church, the more volunteers you're gonna have to draw from that uh, just need the training and the opportunity that really can do a lot of the work. We're working with a new client now and they've built a website and they have uh, photography and all kinds of stuff going on that we're all in their graphic design has been previously done with a team of volunteers that they've done really well at leading. And so we're coming in to help, help them manage that and improve that, but that's doable. 
And, you know, you just kind of, I was a new, if I was a pastor right now, listening to this and I had no team, you know, considerably, and I wanted to start, I would literally buy, and I'll recommend some books to you later. I'd recommend a couple of books on delegation. I would read them, but then more importantly, I would give them to somebody else. And I would say, let's meet once a month and talk about how we can be better at this. And let's brainstorm together. I need you. You need me. Let's collaborate and let's learn some of these principles together. And over the next two years, let's develop a powerhouse team that is built on delegation. That, I mean, to me, that would, that's where I would start. Now, that doesn't solve your problem of next Sunday, but it can help for seven Sundays from now. And get you out of this uh, out of this routine that you're in, and just um, you know, our girls. Do you want to share uh, and talk about those resources? What books you have to, for pastors to learn? Pastors and constructors, what they need to know about for delegation. What are some of those? Yeah, well, here's just a couple. Uh, one that I really like is called "Clone Yourself" by Jeff Heldebrand. And uh, you guys might want to put some links um, on, the, on the podcast later, but. We will. Um, Another one is Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz. I really like that book and I really like Mike. He's, um, he's a strong communicator, gives some real practical things. I will give you another shameless plug. You can go sign up right now. But my friend Brian Buford and I, who's also an executive pastor uh, up in New England, we are almost finished with a five-module course on delegation. And uh, you can go get some sign up for interest at startdelegating.com. And um, you can actually uh, invest in your team by taking a course on how to delegate. We're going to give you all kind of extra resources. I'm not trying to just do a plug for that because I want everyone on this podcast to just be a better delegator, however that looks, whether it's taking a course, reading a book, or listening to this podcast. But if you're wanting to really equip yourself, I would really devour everything you can on this concept and subject. And um, the, the thing that I would guard you against as a pastor, though, is a lot of times as pastors, we're like, oh, I need to go find, you know, a, an author who is a pastor who does this. That, that's, there are probably some great ones out there, but it's also helpful to know that there are some business leaders out there that have written, you know, some stuff on this that's really strong. And my perspective is all truth is God's truth. And so whether they're a pastor or not, um, I think that there's some really great resources that you should invest in. Don't just dwindle this down to, oh, well, this is discipleship. It's, it's a little bit of a different skill set than just discipleship. And so I would, I would really hone in on some, some authors and some resources that are focused specifically on developing the delegation process. Man, I feel like there's been a whole lot of meat in this in this episode when it comes to how we can work better remotely with our teams as we are in an increasingly remote world. We're going to have to delegate better. And it definitely has revealed this time in our world has really revealed just how uh, lacking some of us are in that skill set because it is a skill set to be able to delegate. It's things you can learn. So that's the good news is that if you're not good at it, you can get better at it. So um, it's not just something people are naturally gifted at, but some may be, but for all of us, we have to learn how to do that. Um, Paul, it's been really helpful. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man, and bringing your years of experience in, in this very field. If you guys want to connect with Paul, you can find him at Cast Your Vision 
on the socials. Obviously, you can go to churchcomteam.com if you're looking for some help, churchinc.com or churchswag.com looking for um, signage, print, uh, you know, materials, assets, lots of things there. Church swag is fun. It, there's a lot of stuff like first impressions, gifts, and and stuff you can print on and lots of good stuff in there. So just multiple things. Yeah, and I would just say in closing about that, uh, we didn't get to this earlier, but if you do have remote teams, one of the things that you really want to focus on is uh, helping them win at their location. And so like for for us, one of the things we do at Church Choir is always boxes. And so sending boxes to the home of the people that work for you with some swag in it, maybe it's not swag, maybe it's just cookies and popcorn or whatever. And you have a, an online party together, you know, or whatever. It's really important to do those kind of things. So um, if we can help you on any of those kind of ideas, just let us know. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and go back and listen through some of this season of the shows. We've been really focused on this digital ministry space this over the course of these episodes. And so there's a lot of a lot of good stuff in there for you guys if we as we go forward as a church. So uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back again soon. Have a good one.